0: Welcome to Stories from the Park, a Heritage Park podcast. I'm Dominic Terry, Communications Manager.
1: And I'm Kasaya Quill, Chief Curator at Heritage Park.
0: We are located on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta, a place where visitors come to learn about the history of all those who have gathered here and where Indigenous people proudly share cultural traditions and tell stories about their rich heritage, history, and attachment to the land.
1: In this episode, we explore the topic of history, Why do people study it? How does our view of history change throughout time? And how do people react to those changes in positive and negative ways in our society?
0: Our guest is Dr. Joe Anderson, a professor of history at Mount Royal University in Calgary and a board member here at Heritage Park.
1: Thank you so much, Joe, for coming to join us today. We're really excited to chat with you about a broader conversation on history and what we can learn from it. So do you mind telling us a bit about yourself and your history with Heritage Park?
2: Yeah, First of all, thank you for, uh, for inviting me to talk today. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I've always enjoyed our conversations. And uh, the fact that we're, we're sending it out into the world is actually kind of fun. Uh, I've uh, been a history professor at Mount Royal University since 2008, uh, teaching history of the United States. And I came to Calgary from a, uh, a a teaching job at the University of West Georgia, which is about an hour outside of Atlanta, where I taught for a couple of years uh, before I won the lottery and was able to uh, immigrate to Canada and, and, and work at MRU. Uh, before that, I was a, a museum guy.
0: Hmm.
2: I spent uh, a lot of years in living history museums, uh, working with museum collections, interpretation, education. And that was, actually, that was dates to my undergrad years where I had a summer internship at a living history museum. And immediately, the all of my uh, neurons were firing. Everything was lighting up that this, this could actually be a, an interesting career. So uh, that was forever ago in the 1980s, but I've spent... Uh, A long time thinking about history, thinking about how how we do it in public.
0: Uh,
2: And uh, again, I absolutely have one of the greatest jobs in the world uh, at Mount Royal, uh, where I'm able to uh, show up every day and uh, deal with young minds who are in various stages of engagement. But, uh, you know, try and make the case for exactly the question that you you mentioned and that we have talked about on other occasions, why is history important? Uh, Why, why do we do it? Um, Especially when we're not curing cancer, right? We're some, we, we hear a lot of these things where, okay, maybe uh, these humanities aren't as important, but I'll just stop here by saying our current debates around history, around monuments and memorials, uh, around national histories uh, if anything, they remind us that history is absolutely critical to who we are.
0: Would that would that be then, Joe, the answer to our to our kind of really broad, why do we study history? Question is is that the kind of Cole's notes answer to it?
2: Well, I think there are a lot of facets to it. Um, If I go back and and examine my own life, I have no idea why history resonated with me. Uh, My brother cares about history, but we had the same parents. We went to the same schools. We had the same upbringing. We went to the same church. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was passionate about history. He was interested, but not. Uh, Think about all the families we've known where all the kids do sports or something like that. There are many, many more families where one kid is into music and one kid is into science. Um, You know, so where it comes from is quite hard to answer. But what I think history does for us, uh, like I said, it's multifaceted. It does things for us as individuals. It works for us as communities. And those communities can be as small as an ethno-cultural group in central BC, or it could be uh, you know, it, it could be seek Canadians broadly. It could be uh, as, as the nation state. So history helps us figure out who we are. Mm. And again, that's, that's personal. That's broad. That is uh, uh, that that's in, in some ways really hard to tear into why it resonates for some people, but I, I can tell you, I mean, storytelling has been critical uh, mm-hmm. to human history, whether we're, uh, you know, gazing at the stars, um, you know, on a, uh, on a, on a prairie 10,000 years ago, mm-hmm. or whether we are sitting around today watching a movie or a show that deals with a historical subject uh, understanding who we are, how we fit in the world. Uh, lots of disciplines do it, right. right? We do it through literature. We do it through plays and drama. But history, what I would say sets this apart a little bit, is that it we bring a certain set of tools and approaches um, and a degree of rigor that gets us, I, I think, uh, the potential for honest, Tellings of our past. And, and other, other things don't. I mean, it's not hard to think of a movie that really evokes a period in history beautifully, mm. but is total historical BS, even though it might capture the uh, capture the the emotion. You know, we we can look around and say, well, that didn't actually happen, or or whatever, that no one was there to hear that conversation. Um, you know, so that can be honest emotionally but history is concerned not only with the emotion, history is concerned with the intellect too.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so when we think like think about studying history, a lot of our minds go to kind of, we need to study it so we don't repeat it. Um, and I think that is probably something a lot of us are feeling right now that, oh, we we can look at as historians and say, well, of course that's going to go that direction if we don't look at the past and consider how we can make changes. So why is it, is it hard for people, for people to learn from history? Is there ways we can learn from it? Are, there, are, are we doing it or are we bad at it?
2: That's a great question. I think <laughs> we're, we are always learning from history. Every mm-hmm. one of us, whether we are actively thinking about it or not, we're always learning from history. But we do learn a lot of horrible lessons mm-hmm. or things that don't necessarily add up uh, that match with the historical record. Uh, I'll just put a, put a quick, uh, exclamation point on this. I think if, if in fact we could learn about history, so history doesn't repeat itself, it's possible that we'd all be futures traders. Uh, everyone would study history. We'd all be futures traders. We'd be able to, uh, you know, predict the future and everyone would, uh, you know, retired at age twenty-five or something like that. But or or the historians would be philosopher kings, and we are clearly not philosopher <laughs> kings. Uh, <laughs> many times, historians are the least popular person in the room because they're always saying, "Well, that's kind of true, but." Um, y- y- more seriously, though, um, historians will often say that history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Hmm. And I think that's a helpful way to think about it because uh, have we seen multiple instances in human history of authoritarian governments? We're sure we have. Uh, they are not the same in Chile in the 1970s as they were in Germany in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what historians really love about history is the context and pulling this stuff apart and saying, well, how was this different? Mm -hmm. Uh, Why, who were the players? What was their background? What books were they reading? What, what conversations were they having? Whether it's in a, you know, CIA headquarters, CIA headquarters or the the white house, the oval office, or in a beer hall in Munich. Uh, You know, we, we know that those things are not the same, so that gives historians um, a lot of excitement to say, "Okay, what's the context here?" Mm-hmm. Uh, you could also argue that it's job security, uh, cynically that we we do want to uh, we do want to know how and why these things are different. But I, I'll dismiss the cynical argument to say, uh, no one in history is paid enough to indulge that. Uh, that fantasy we we 're paid because we want to open up those record books. We want to get the declassified documents we want to read the speeches and the letters and look at the census data uh, it, again it's a it's a wonderful kind of nerd that you can encounter whether they are into uh, a, a special kind of uh, automobile or aircraft or uh, technique uh, on the clarinet Mm -hmm. or the people like historians who like to read other people's mail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. And
0: uh, an interesting context is, is so important when we think of in today's world, I think that we people want to only look at you know people in the way that they want to remember them and so at heritage park we talk about the famous five you know they're not only this group of women who did great things but also very controversial in their in their views at the time you know how do how do we square those things when we talk about history and i know for historians probably the three of us can look at it and say well there's context to everybody's story how do we square that as people, you know, who who probably aren't as adept at, at kind of looking at things in, in kind of the broader lens?
2: Yeah, I want to come to your first point first about uh, the kind of the tend to oversimplification. I mean, mm-hmm. Humans are so complex and we are so contradictory. So that same person who loves that particular technique on the clarinet or the the you know, the guitar riff, and we'll spend hours and hours working on it. We'll be very casual about something else uh, in their lives, right? And we all are because we're trying to manage uh, all the daylight hours between getting out of bed in the morning and get, going to bed at night and all the, the crap that happens to us along the way. So we'll we'll focus in on some things, but we'll very seldom bring that same degree of focus to other things. And that complexity Uh, There's a parallel to it, which is the complexity of human nature. And you mentioned the famous five, uh, the, the belief in eugenics, uh, of building better people Mm -hmm. through breeding, uh, that's reprehensible. Mm -hmm. And yet those same people, because of their context, were able to say, uh, we have something broken in our society, something else that's broken in our society, which yeah. is suffrage, which <laughs> is legal rights uh, for women. So to me, that that doesn't... Well, let me put it this way. Uh, we are interested in learning about people in the past and commemorating people in the past and events and places. Mm-hmm. But... It gets real tricky when we celebrate. Right. So um, a, another quick example, uh, if I if I can indulge you, you guys can tell me to be quiet at any time, and I promise I'll, <laughs> I'll behave. Uh, we think about Canada Day. Yeah. And we think about how important Canada Day is to so many people as a day of celebration. Mm-hmm. Canada Day, and this 2023 was a a great example, uh, is also the day of shame and humiliation Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: for people of Chinese descent
1: in Mm -hmm. in Canada.
2: And so here you can have an event uh, like a commemoration of Confederation, but how amazing that that event cuts two ways. And, and I'll say it cuts a lot more ways than two. Oh, yeah. uh, that's that's an example yeah. that for many, not all Chinese Canadians, but for many could look at that day and say, how can we have a party? How can we have fireworks on this day? Fireworks.
1: yeah,
2: A Chinese invention
1: yeah. to celebrate
2: yeah. the national government that was responsible for uh, creating a different class of citizens. Uh, so again, the these people these events uh they're not often easy mm-hmm. and i think if, if we choose to look at someone like the fame uh, five people and say these people did something really amazing and these people also held some beliefs that uh were were disproven in a global cataclysm of the second world war
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: and people we 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 reckon with this all the time uh whether it's george washington as a slaveholder mm-hmm. and also uh a a very uh a mili- military leader who proved that he was wily enough to not lose right. uh that's really something in the military uh, not losing so we we're, we're surrounded by it uh mm-hmm. those ghosts are walking amongst us the ghost of of the famous five of George Washington, uh, pick your, pick your person. Mm. They they're with us because those views, they might fade in importance. They might rise in importance. That's where context comes in. Mm. Um, but they're, they're with us all the time. And I find that terrifying and comforting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it, It falls to days too, like remembrance day, right. As the as a day where we, you know, so not you know, it's it's certainly not a celebration, but it's a, it's not it's not either the glorification of war. It's uh, it's a it's a time of remembrance of
2: you know yeah, what that, people that's did. That's interesting uh, because I think it's very easy for us to understand how people were caught up in the cataclysm of the Great War, mm-hmm. uh, even though for many Canadians today. The rallying cry of king and country would be pretty thin soup
1: Doesn't to motivate Canadians oh, yeah. to
2: go to war. And yet, in nineteen fourteen, king and country really spoke to people mm. in a different way. And I think we can look back at not only the enthusiastic warriors of the Great War, but also those who are conscripted and reluctant and um uh, and we can say those people deserve to be remembered. Mm-hmm. Those those people who died in that conflict, in some cases, with no physical trace left because of the high explosive uh, that was used so commonly, um, those people deserve to be remembered. And again, celebrate or don't celebrate. But I think pushing pause on our day on November 11th, that's an important exercise to say uh, our country was totally changed.
1: Oh, entirely. What
2: happened between 1914 to 1918. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: the world was totally changed there. Mm -hmm. Let's press pause and let's remember those people Mm -hmm. who were killed Mm -hmm. uh, far from home.
1: Uh, So when you think about things going on in our present day in history, one of the things that uh, one of those events or things that's going on is that idea of monuments when we come to things like uh johnny McDonald or um robert e lee like just all over mm-hmm. in especially in north america or colonizing countries that were colonized or colonizers um we're reckoning with what these monuments mean in the present day because there's slight difference between a monument being history and that idea of heritage and the present day so what do you make of that and what, do you, what insight can you give us
2: well, Kasaya, you've yeah. given us exhibit a
1: mm-hmm.
2: on why history matters because yeah. we fight about monuments because we fight about what they mean uh, we fight about whether they should exist or if they should be supplemented or if they should be replaced with mm-hmm. counter memorials and counter monuments um, if if you're ever worried about why history is relevant, look around today read the headlines. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're you're exactly right these things are contentious uh i'm going to start this by putting a question back to you of course when think about a monument
1: mm-hmm.
2: that you've seen
1: mm-hmm. in your
2: life and um maybe think of if you've seen one to a person yeah um what Did you learn about history from looking at that monument?
1: I'm going to argue nothing um, because I don't learn anything from looking at a bronze statue of a dude on a horse because there's no information on the dude on the horse. I might have his name and his death date perhaps and his birth date, but I won't have learned. Why is he important? Why is he here? I'm thinking about something like central Memorial park. There's a guy on a horse. I still don't know exactly who that is and why he's important. Or Uh, or you go to—I can
2: can give you the short version. He (laughs) is the uh, uh, the monument to the Calgarians Mm. who served in the South African War. Right. Uh,
1: With one with one guy. One guy. Right.
0: Yeah. Or you go to a place like I'm from Corner Brook, Newfoundland, on the west coast of Newfoundland, and there's a monument called Cooks Cooks Hill, and and There's a a monument to Captain James Cook, who, fantastic cartographer, but all you know on that monument is that he mapped the Bay of Islands on the west coast of Newfoundland. There's no context to his broader historical, you know, nature of what he might have done in the interim of, you know, (laughs) being a great cartographer. So
2: I hear, I get your point. You said the magic word, which is context. Yeah. Uh, And a monument gives us very little context. Does it mean that it's important or not important? Not the same question. Yeah. But what we learn about history from a monument is, is very limited if we learn anything at all. And I think what happens at monuments is that uh, we often have our own views reinforced.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That That's a danger of museums. Studies yeah. of museum visitors uh repeatedly show that if if someone believes the past was a better time with you know more family values or whatever they they leave the museum and they've seen things that reinforce that view or working at living history museums you know this happens all the time people come out and they say the past was a hellscape in which people died young and worked hard and whatever and they'll leave the museum often thinking the same thing so monuments are like that but with less opportunity to interdict and to say, yes, but,
0: Mm -hmm. or
2: yes, and in the great tradition of improv. So when you're working at a, at a museum, especially if it's a living history museum, which focuses on human to human contact, understanding human process, uh, whether it's churning butter, or picking stones out of horses hooves or what have you, um, that interpreter is there to say yes and so I you know when you think about monuments, uh there are there are limited things we can learn.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know that the question I think Dominic, if you didn't raise it, maybe uh maybe I'm just projecting or hearing things, but um those monuments can have context. And I'll give you an example. This has probably been about 10 years ago. Uh, A historian I knew, uh, when there started to become some more agitation about monuments to slaveholders, and particularly those slaveholders who joined the Confederacy, who fought to break away from the United States, which was a slaveholding country, and create their own slaveholding country, Uh, of just the parts of the United States that that legally allowed slavery. And I remember this historian was saying, what we should do is not tear down the monuments, but build interpretive panels around them. Create like a a mini museum where people could actually start to understand that monument. Mm -hmm. Uh, after, After 2019, 2020, after Michael Brown... Michael Brown's death uh, in Ferguson, Missouri, after George Floyd was killed. Mm -hmm. uh, This person said, you know, maybe, maybe that's too weak. And maybe the fact that many of these monuments were put up with the context of reminding fellow white citizens of a particular view of the war, one in which they did not fight for slavery, one in which they fought for constitutional liberty, one in which they fought for hearth and home.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the sec- other side of that coin is reminding African-Americans, the freedmen and their children and grandchildren, of the power of white supremacy. And that, in fact, uh, when uh, you agitate for change, uh, there's a price to pay, oftentimes the life of a human being. And that uh, that monument is there to say, don't get out of line. And I'll give you one quick example. In the Reconstruction period, uh, there was a uh, attempted coup in New Orleans
0: mm-hmm.
2: of uh, white citizens who were distressed that a biracial government was in power in New Orleans. Uh, White and black were cooperating, however imperfectly. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And there was an attack on that government in which 30-some people were killed on, on both sides of that case. But the ultimate takeaway was, is that that Republican biracial government was unseated not in the short term, but in the longer term. And uh, so those citizens who attempted the coup put up a monument to themselves mm. of, uh, in 1874. Or they put up the, the monument later, this 1874 battle, and they put it up and it was on public land. It was maintained with taxpayer dollars. And after a 100 or so years, the long festering frustration of many African-Americans in New Orleans who said, this is a monument that's about subjecting my great-grandparents. And maybe it shouldn't be here anymore. And, and at that time, New Orleans had a uh, a mayor, Mitch Landrieu, uh, who agreed, and that, that monument was taken down. And again, the, the galling thing was, uh, for many people, is that it was A, on public land, Taxpayer supported, maintained, and uh was a reminder that that white and black could not, should not cooperate. So it was in fact a, a white supremacist monument. That's
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, it's interesting. There's uh yeah, that's a lot of uh there's a lot of context. Context is the word of the day.
2: If I could, yeah. Cecil Rhodes. Uh, we tend to have been talking about North America, yeah. Uh, but Cecil Rhodes was very concerned with his legacy mm. and uh, established some amazing things like the Rhodes Scholarship, and uh, but is memorialized heavily uh, in in bronze, and it, the the systems that Cecil Rhodes helped build in South Africa in particular, uh, had really negative effects for a lot of people.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And it's not surprising that at some point people said, Cecil Rhodes, uh, a monument to this person, maybe doesn't belong in public. Again, taking down a monument doesn't mean that you can't like someone or can't admire them. Uh, but that monument as a burr under the saddle of a reminder that a group within society chose to celebrate this person uh, it, it became intolerable.
1: Right. Yeah. It's the. It's just understanding so much of the context is I think what we do as um, historians and as historical organizations is making sure that people can learn a little bit of context to understanding um, what was going on in the past. Cause we would like probably people to think about us and our context when they remember us.
2: Think about heritage park. Yeah. Heritage park is context, right? So mm-hmm. you could walk into an exhibit gallery at a traditional quote unquote traditional museum and see uh, a household implement like a, a, a wash tub and yeah. a washboard. Uh, but at heritage park, You put that wash tub and washboard at the uh, Nightingale Colony House, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and it has context. Yeah. And it not only has context, but we can actually use it there. And even better, invite that visitor to say, take a minute. I've got, I'm washing tea towels today. Mm -hmm. Take a minute and uh, wash a tea towel yeah and that engagement that is uh once you ask someone to do that they are learning what work is like in 1910 they're learning what work feels like in 1910 yeah they are learning what work smells like with lye soap and water mm-hmm. uh, to me the the way to light up imagination and spark interest is at a, at a living history museum, it's off the charts. Right. And that's how you find that eight year old child who all of a sudden is super interested, who wants more Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: eventually parlays that experience that interest into reading a book or uh, going to other museums and looking critically at how they're telling those stories of labor, of work. Uh, I I love it. That doesn't mean that living history museums don't have huge problems. Kasaya, you and I have had many conversations over the years, over the last (laughs) decade uh, about the problems of living history museums, but the potential to spark interest, the potential to engage people at so many different levels. Uh, yeah. That that's that's why we keep doing living history. That's why we need Heritage Park, because Heritage Park is doing stuff that Glenbow will never be able to do, right? That that yeah. Fort Calgary doesn't do, and it takes absolutely nothing away from Glenbow or Fort Calgary.
1: Yeah, those yeah. are
2: wildly significant places. Uh, they do important work. But Heritage Park does it a little differently,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: that to me, uh, that keeps me coming back.
0: Right. Is that the lesson of sixty years of Heritage Park? Do you think that that's the that's the legacy of what we're what we're trying to do here?
2: I, I think it yes, and and more
1: mm-hmm. memory. Yeah.
2: Uh, giving a place. Where people can come together and have intergenerational memories, mm. where people can come together and share with other visitors, where people can start to understand what the land, the water, the resources have meant to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that that's part of it too, uh, Dominic. That. Uh, you know, for, for all of our flaws, and, and I don't think there's an no Albertan who will kid themselves to say we don't have flaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, for all of our flaws, the stories are interesting. The people and what they did were important and was important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that to me, again, let's commemorate it. Let's get in there and depict it accurately and honestly. And, and that's my goal in the classroom is let's treat the sources and the people. Uh, let's interpret what they said and did honestly. Let's be as accurate as we can. Let's be as comprehensive as we can. It's why the work that Heritage Park has done at the indigenous campment, encampment has been so important. It's why engaging with uh, uh, newcomers
0: mm-hmm. is so
2: important. Uh, again, people, people like to see themselves reflected back at them. Yeah. We, we know that's true, right? It, it's why we often clump or cluster in terms of ethnocultural communities, in terms of uh, mm-hmm. uh, identities. But guess what else we know? Empathy is critical to survive. Right. If we don't mm-hmm. have it, we don't survive as individuals. Or, or if we do, it's a miserable existence. We have to have it in our families.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We have to have it in our cities. And a place like Heritage Park builds empathy. Right. Where you can come into the, the Wing Chun laundry mm-hmm. and see what that immigrant experience mm-hmm. looked like
1: right yeah. well joe
2: i i don't think that <clears throat> i could
0: uh i could agree with that anymore i, I the word empathy means a lot and uh mm-hmm. i think that uh you know context being our kind of word of this conversation is uh, something that you brought to us today about uh, about history and uh we really appreciate you you coming on with us and and having a quick chat about it. I know that we could speak for hours probably and have really long ranging and deep conversations about you know different sus- subjects and and more about empathy and more about how there's a lack of that in the world today. But uh, we'll we'll leave her at that. And and again, thank you so much for being here with us and and bringing context.
2: Well, let me say thank you for inviting me. And even more importantly, thank you for working at Heritage Park to do that work of telling stories. And, you know, everybody plays an important role, uh, getting the word out, publicity, everything. Uh, My thanks to uh, the janitorial staff at Heritage Park,
1: everybody
2: who makes a good meal for people who come to Heritage Park, uh, the people who are counting the money at the end end of the day. Uh, that those things are all critical it truly takes a team and heritage park has a a great team and i've been very proud to be affiliated with the park for all these years
0: thank you all right thanks joe
2: thank you